0: Welcome to the B2B Leaders in Loyalty podcast and the last in our series of insights into what you need to consider if you're thinking of launching a loyalty program. I'm your host, Vanessa Aves. I'm here again with Dr. David Cox, CEO of Motorforce, the global loyalty marketing agency behind award-winning programs such as IBM's Know Your IBM channel program and the Lenovo Elite Business Partner program. David is an expert in loyalty marketing as he has a PhD in the subject. That means he truly is a loyalty doctor who can diagnose your loyalty marketing challenges and recommend the right remedy. Hi, David. Welcome back again. Thank you for joining me. Thanks,
1: Vanessa. It's good to be here.
0: Um, Great. Um, So far far in this series, um, we've covered a lot of areas, you know, the key business issues you need to address, um, identifying the objectives for your programme, Customers you want to target, um, and also the advantages of testing your loyalty strategy by running a pilot program. But in the current economic climate, with many businesses facing a downturn in trading, you know they're looking to cut costs, and frequently the first budget to get slashed by the finance department or senior management is the marketing budget. So, if you're a loyalty marketing manager, how can you convince all the stakeholders in your company not to cut the loyalty program budget and to go ahead with the launch of your programme. Um, so, David, you know, what I wanted to ask you is why is it almost always the case that company executives immediately ask, you know, why are we spending so much money on launching a loyalty programme? Or, you know, why is loyalty the first thing that, that, that the top management team want, always seem to want to cut the budget?
1: It's a great question, Vanessa, and it probably goes to show the lack of vision and the lack of detailed analytics that exists in the market and within a business on what marketing and particularly what loyalty marketing is actually doing for the firm. The, the finance people and the people who don't understand loyalty program tend to think that they're going to get the sales anyway and loyalty programs are going to pay for the sale that would have come through the door. So to them, they see it as a cost that they feel they shouldn't have to to give away as part of the sales um, cycle. But loyalty marketers and and loyalty and marketing managers, for that matter, understand that when you do proper cohort analysis, where you look at the people who are on a program, and you look at the types of behaviors that you want to reward, the types of product bundling that you want to try and and get your customers to purchase, and the types of behaviours compared to those who are not in the program, then you start getting the detailed analytics to prove the return on investment. I think in a previous podcast, we had spoken about the need to do cohort analysis, where you look at people who are on a program or in a program compared to very very, very similar sized profiled participants who are not and we can do this more effectively in the B2B environment than in the B2C environment. So where companies get to the point where these types of questions are being asked, it's usually because the right analytics aren't in place, the right analysis hasn't been done, the right reporting and dashboards are not available, and those who put loyalty programs together haven't thought beyond looking at the types of information that stakeholders in the company really need to ensure that this is a vital and continuing investment for their business.
0: So it's about ultimately, you know, educating your stakeholders, then I suppose. I mean, um, but obviously there seems to be probably a lot of misconceptions then about loyalty programs um, among, you know, senior management. Are there, you know, what are the sort of some of the common misconceptions and and how could a loyalty Program Manager, how could you, you know, overcome those misconceptions?
1: Well, the first one I mentioned earlier on is that we are already going to get these sales in. And you may already get a sale from one of the participants who are in the program. It may not be the the volume that you're after. It certainly may not be the type of product that you're after. Uh, we have products that that feature in our loyalty programs, particularly B2B, that have a weighting towards those that have higher margin and more valuable to the business than, for example, last last year's run out model or, or old inventory. So the loyalty program will will focus people on moving the types of products that are going to make the best profit margin for the business. Um, you may still get the sale, but do you really want it of the old item when the new item and the new product that you're putting into the marketplace is the one that's actually going to push your business further along and give you the return on investment? The second scenario is that some uninformed managers might think that people are in the program because of the points as opposed to being in there for the brand. And what we need to do is ensure that the structure of the program synthesizes both attitudinal Um, loyalty and behavioural loyalty. Behavioural loyalty, we reward for the types of purchases for the products that they buy. So you get rewards for demonstrating that loyal behaviour. Attitudinal loyalty, though, is when you actually have a predisposition towards the brand, that you have this desire that you are dealing with the best product, that you're dealing with the best company. And the best programs fuse both attitudinal loyalty and behavioural loyalty together. Um, and a lot of companies actually do focus on just fo- on on behavioural loyalty. Um, but in those cases, you are then looking at a tit-for-tat type program and competing on who's got the most points for a product without really thinking about putting in trust, value and those things into the market.
0: Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to think about there, isn't there? Gosh, Um uh, and I mean, in terms of um other misconceptions, do you do you think there's anything else that um you know stakeholders would sort of question, like, for example, if you've got you've got tears in your program, program tears or you know, social loyalty, you know, would they sort of think that was all a bit unnecessary?
1: Well, it's it, again, it goes to show what the uninformed will come to a conclusion. Um it's a bit like walking into a doctor and and thinking that, you know, the, the health problem that you've got, uh, you've got a runny nose when in actual fact it's a deeper root cause of what's, what's giving you these symptoms. Loyalty programs aren't a piece of cake. There are a lot of moving parts. So all of these elements need to be thoroughly analysed to see what is going to drive the types of behaviours you want your participants to demonstrate over a long term in their programs. So social loyalty... It is a must in today's environment where we've got millennials now who are the most valuable of your customer set. They're the people who are now moving into middle to senior management in some companies. They're the ones who've grown up with a digital device from the moment they were born. So their ability to collaborate and communicate in the social loyalty sphere is is vital. Um, mm-hmm. One other days, if you're going to do mail outs to these people, they're probably not going to work. So you need yeah. to, to look at what motivates these particular participants in their business environment that is going to achieve the return on investment and the types of desires and behaviours. Tiering, again, is another element where you start to stratify stratify your segment of your customer base and give different benefits or rewards with the view that you want people to do tier migration. The idea is that if you're a bronze or whatever the name of the tier is going to be, life is going to be better if you do the type of behaviours and become silver. Uh, And and if you're silver, you've got life is going to be so much better when you become gold. Interestingly, I did a study as part of my PhD, which was um, a decade or so ago now, where I ran around an airport uh, in, in Sydney looking at people's boarding passes and the luggage tags that they had on their bags, looking at to see whether if you're a platinum member, you had the platinum bag bag tag or if you're yeah. old, whether you, whether it matched up. And the research was that the, the status and the soft benefits and the desire of having a better life in a higher tier, mm-hmm. I wanted to see whether that really resonated amongst airline passengers. And the results were quite, well, they're probably quite uh, normal when you start thinking about it. When you got a new color-coded luggage tag, you know, because you got to a higher tier, you immediately took off your old tags and put the new one on. Now, of course, a luggage tag is a piece of plastic with your name and number on it. From a functional perspective, whether it's what color it means doesn't change the functional perspective. It identifies this piece of luggage to you. And really, the color is you know has has absolutely no benefit. So but it's interestingly um, that when people changed the when people change the um, the luggage tag, they did it straight away when they got upgraded. But yeah. when they got downgraded, they left the old luggage tags on. They didn't put their lower grade tag as a result of this change. And you can start seeing the power of tiers and tier migration when that type of evidence is is put forward um in a in a program and we can yeah. see this is really an important component of what you're trying to drive
0: mm, mm. yeah so um yeah i think i'm probably just as guilty of that with the luggage tags on my luggage yeah <laughs> when i was downgraded to a lower tier then i wasn't taking that that platinum uh luggage label off my uh, suitcase um Um, So anyway, um, David, that's um, all really, really useful and great advice and um, some very valuable tactics for channel marketing managers to use, you know, to defend their decision to launch a loyalty or incentive program. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you today. A huge thank you for joining me in this series. um, And I've really enjoyed our conversations.
1: Thanks, Vanessa. It's been a pleasure as always.
0: Okay. Um, well, that concludes this episode of B2B Leads in Loyalty and also this series of insights into what you need to consider if you're thinking of launching a loyalty programme. I hope that we've given you plenty of valuable insight and advice and tips to guide you through the process, diagnose how a loyalty programme could help meet your business objectives and grow sales and revenue. Thank you for tuning in. Watch out for our next series when we will be focusing on advice and tactics for companies and marketing managers who already have a loyalty programme up and running, but want to drive better results and ROI from their programme.